Cheers, bro. Cheers. I'm Mark Beyer. I'm Jeremy Walton. And this is Opinions Over Bourbon. We're two friends from different backgrounds. We're husbands. We're fathers. We've seen a lot. And we've done a lot. So let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it. We've got a lot to talk about. Here we go. All right, and here we are. Ooh. Drinking some... What is Smoke that? Wagon small batch from Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. A little shot out there. I got a I got this bottle from one of my employees for Christmas. Is that right? And then I bought it for you. Thanks, bro. The bottle is fantastic. It is fantastic with the desert vines on the bottle etched in there or blown out. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I don't that is a good question. How do you how do you get some like stencil on glass? Somebody somebody out there listening that knows more than we do. <laughs> just maybe put that in the in the comments section. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All right, third installment. Yeah, and, uh, you know what the topic is this week, my friend. Topic this week is manhood. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> or the segment of uh, <clears throat> the segment of uh, getting older and uh, how that affects our body. Well, <clears throat> it is specifically to like. Yeah, I mean, it could be some of the things that we look up to. I mean, that's kind of the first installment. You know, when I think about manhood, I'm like, what were some of the uh, first men you remember looking up to when you were growing up or even now? Man, well, there I I know for a fact there were three three people in my life. And in the first podcast, obviously, we talked about my dad. My dad is by far the biggest influence. Um, luckily for me, you know, he was around, he's still around. And, uh, like I, I, if you guys haven't heard the first one, go back and listen a little bit. I, uh, we talked about the fact that he didn't ever judge me for things and he just like always was there for, um, you know, was there for me. You know, I, I don't think like when I was little, I'll give you a quick example. Like tonight I came home and Tucker, uh, Jen, my wife had to take my daughter, Ellie, to her dance practice, and my son, Tucker, was with her because I was at work, and so she wasn't going to leave him at home. He's nine years old, and uh, she took him in. I was home when they got home, and he was crying. I could tell he had been crying, and I was like, what's wrong? And he was overwhelmed with the amount of uh, work, homework that he had, and the school does a good job, but they give him a lot at, like, one time a week, and then they have to, like, prioritize it out for the whole week, and he was overwhelmed. And I just gave him a hug, and I said, you know, buddy, it's okay. It's okay baby, to be stressed. It's okay to cry about that. Like, I understand it's, it's tough, and this is stressful for him. Like, it doesn't seem stressful for me because it's homework, and we'll get it done, but it's stressful for him. Like, my dad never did that, you know, but I know that he cared, and I know that he loved me because he never missed a football game. Uh, he never missed any events that I was in. Uh he always made time for that, but he worked a shit ton and um, because he had to pay bills and it's paying off now. You know, he, he, my, my mom have lived a nice little retirement life for a long time. I can't remember. Like he's, I think he was 64 maybe when he retired and he's 82 and he's 
I mean, he luckily had a pension, so he's still doing great. And uh, now we have a great relationship. And he taught me a lot of stuff, like we talked about in the first episode about hard work and like you, you gotta va- you gotta wake up every morning and put value in yourself before before you put value in anything else. Like he never wanted <clears throat> anyone to think that he was um, not doing his best. And then there are two other people, and I'll just go quickly because I want to get back to you, and we'll dig in a little bit more on the other. But um, actually, two were two high school football coaches. One was my head football coach. Uh, shout out to Tom Narducci <laughs> from uh, Pennsylvania, even though the you know, being from Ohio, that hurts me. Um, he went to my alma mater, John Carroll University. And, um, and then my, my, my position coach, Tom Kaiser, who uh, he was a, a, the father of one of my good friends that was in the same grade as I. So he followed us. He coached us like through third grade flag football all the way up to uh, my position coach in high school. And I could say those three men really – uh, made me who I am today. That's fucking powerful, bro. You know, <clears throat> when I was growing up, uh, I just remember my dad being hard on me. So I don't know if I necessarily looked up to him. Mm. I just m- remember the amount of expectations that were that were put on me and my brothers. Um, There were some athletes I looked up to when I was playing ball, but none of them were, like, mixed. You know, they weren't biracial or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the first person that stands out to me that I looked up to as a young man was uh, my freshman year at college, my roommate was rushing um, SAE. Mm-hmm. And they had a chronicler. Uh, a what? The, uh, the guy who was like the big dick who would haze oh. the shit out of you. Is that what they called him? Yeah, the chronicler. Chronicler. Yeah. I've never even heard that I name. Even, I haven't either. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> what was unique about him is that he was a light-skinned black dude. I remember asking him if he was mixed or not. Uh, and he went to the Army first before he came to college. Mm. And he was an Army Ranger. Ooh. And uh, he does a tour and then comes to U of A, University of Arizona. So he was a little older than what than most of the yeah. students, yeah. And so when he rushed, <clears throat> his chronicler or his classes, you know, hazing or initiation was a bit tough because they couldn't necessarily break them. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> and I'm like, nice try, I see, yeah. but I've, you know, I'm an army ranger for Christ's sake. Right. Anyway, uh, what they did find that would get under his skin is if they ever uh, just hazed the rest of his class and made him Not watch, him. Yeah. That, that would really get under his skin. Pretty good uh, quick analysis on their part, to be honest with you. <clears throat> well, that I don't know how classic. long it took to figure that out, right. but like <laughs> they got there. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's true. We weren't there. Anyway, so uh, so my roommate all semester for all my freshman year uh, was telling me about this guy, and uh, having never met him, I was impressed. I was impressed by his story. Um, I have to say, you know, my dad being in the military, that I did always look up 
to him for that. Yeah. Um, later on, being a black man from Kentucky, going to Vietnam, I kind of learned a little bit more about him as I got older. So that just added to more levels of respect. Um, and that made sense that I liked this Emerson guy. When you <clears throat> Can I ask a question? Yeah. When you were in high school, you said, sorry, so you skipped to college, but when you were in high school, did you have an understanding? Because at that point you had been through a lot as a mixed race individual. Did you understand why your dad was so hard on you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the time my first racial experience was when I was, uh, eight, um, eight or nine, uh, we were at a grocery store, my little brother and I with my mom and, um, you know, they have samples and shit, Mm -hmm. you know? So we walk up to this lady trying to get a sample of like sausage or hot dogs or something. And the lady snaps back at us, you know. You have to have your mom present or your parent present, you know? Mm. And my mom just loses her shit and goes, I'm their mother. Wow. Yeah. And uh, she was infuriated. And um, the woman tried to, like, backpedal. And uh, so my little brother was six at the time. (laughs) So, uh, you know, from there is, like, a couple different experiences on couple different ends of the color spectrum that by the time a cop pulled me over, I was 13. I was walking with my friend uh, who's a year older than me uh, by the park in our neighborhood, which was middle-class neighborhood in Denver, you know, hilltop. And, uh, you know, most of the black folks in Denver lived in Park Hill, which is like in the 40s. And my address was on, like, 4th. Mm. Yeah. So uh, when the cop, like, pulled up to the next to us, asked where we were going, we said we were going home. My friend was white. He was like, the cop asked, you know, where are you guys going? We both said home. He asked, where do you live? And I said 4th and Holly. Mm. And he was like, 40th and Holly? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Mm. No, 4th and Holly. So I get home and I tell my dad what happened. He let us go. Like, obviously, he's like, why don't you guys get home? I'm like, all right. It was summertime in Denver. Yeah. So we get home. I explain to my dad. We got pulled over and what got said. And then that was the first, like, time he had this talk with me about how he was raising me for the way the world is, not the way that he wished the world was. Yeah. And you have to think in terms of this combination of survival, kind of seeing a couple steps ahead, make sure that you're not putting yourself in harm's way. You got to be more aware yeah, at all times. And that's kind of like what was stuck with me. And, you know, it was really good lessons because, you know, it allowed me some freedoms as I got into high school. My parents trusted me to, like, go to clubs and stuff when I was, like, 17, and uh, being smart about how you speak to police officers at the time, and uh, even the way I dressed was a little bit more on the preppier side. But yeah. I mean, it was the '90s. Tommy Hilfiger and Ralph Polo was popular. So you gotta have, yeah. like take a grain of salt with that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so 
Yeah, man, my dad was a significant figure, but it was hard, you know, like he... How do I say this? Like, you, they just never wanted you to get your hopes up because mm. watching their children get disappointed for no reason, like something that was out of their hands. Do you think... Do you think he thought that you growing up <clears throat> was he you were going to grow up the way he grew up and one of his only ways to get through it like he went to the military and that like he was probably disappointed in a lot of things that happened in his life or like he was he knew <clears throat> that he couldn't hope for everything in his life. And so he wanted to see, like, make sure that you weren't hoping for too much in your life because he didn't want you to be disappointed. You know, they did want, uh, he brought up being in the military for career specifically to give us more opportunities. Right. So I would say it's like two parts. I would say my parents both got into the military because they were trying to escape their circumstances mm-hmm. and hope to pursue a better life. Mm-hmm. I think my mom wanted to experience more in the world than Seattle. And I think my dad was looking for a place where he didn't have to worry about walking around with shoes that didn't have soles in them. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Um, and it was true. I mean, they did that. Like I have pictures of my parents in Europe, you know, <laughs> rock climbing and stuff. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then they were together in the seventies. So they're like in some of these disco outfits, <laughs> mom dressed up to the nine. Yeah. So they experienced yeah. some things, you know? Um, and then I think when it came to raising his kids, uh, my parents raising their children, it was very much whatever gave us the best opportunity. But because of that, then I would say the expectations was, is that we put you in a position to do well. So now yeah. the expectation is that you take advantage of that. Right. Um, but there was a lot of only, you know, in the neighborhood we ended up in, we were the only family of color for like four years. Wow. Um, so like I said, I mean, there's some, there's a lot of layers that you can go into in the sense of, is it better to put your kids in situations where maybe the education system better and maybe the homes are a little bit nicer, but are you taking away from their experience with diversity? But at the same time, when I was going to these schools, <clears throat> these black kids would fucking lean into me something awful, call me all kinds of fucked up shit um, for the way that I spoke. My dad didn't really like a lot of slang in our house. Um, but a lot of this, like I said, is military. But like I said before, you know, there's cliques in schools. So you'd have people that know each other, be families and friends of black folks, Latinos, Asians, you know, certain types of white folks. But there was a group of, like, military kids, kids who kind of understood, like, yeah, we move around a lot. We know what that's like. It was a lot of different races. But the expectations in the home were different because, uh, because of the order. Right. <laughs> it's like, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, you know, the way that things are kept. The military really leaves like a uh, an impression on a person for the long term. Yeah, I think uh, there is a specific order that 
lends itself to specific results. Yeah. And so you, you, in that situation, you have to have the highest level of order in order to maintain. I mean, these kids are running around with guns and, you know, we have lots of, there's lots of risk involved. And so you have to have order. And when you're in that system for a long time, you do see the, the benefits of that. I mean, there are drawbacks, but you see the ultimate benefits of that. And so you say, well, if it works here, it's, it's going to work in my home. Well, and that just goes back to what we talked about before about parenting. Like you're only doing what you know, mm-hmm. the best of what you can and what yeah. you think is the best right. that you can do. And your dad was, you know, for a fact, he was doing that because he knew that that was going to give you the best opportunity to succeed. 100%. And like I said, you know, after college, um, after our, I got into the world and took some licks, <clears throat> my appreciation for all those lessons just went up. Yeah. You know, the way I feel about them now is... It's probably, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's probably like when you got to college is when you, hearing what you just said about your school and where you lived, and it wasn't that diverse. When you went to college, University of Arizona, it's super diverse. And so then you realized kind of the benefits of what your dad and mom had done for you throughout those years. Yeah. One, I think that also has something to do with like when you're out there and you're trying to look for some guidance as you're also trying to live on your own. Um, I can definitely say that, you know, I use this quote all the time about the two hardest things in life is to keep a good reputation and to lose a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And when I got to school, <clears throat> I remember thinking that, you know, now that I'm out here, my dad always said, you know, when you represent our name, think about how big you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So that's how they raised us to think of our name as like a symbol or right. a meaning of something. Right. And uh, what that meaning is should be able to be understood by anyone that meets you, that when they say your name, the characteristics that go along with it are pretty clear. Right. right. And I, I always like that. So we kind of bounced around, but so you didn't specifically say, I mean, your dad has to be the biggest influence. Yeah. He was a really big influence. Um, more so as I feel like I got older, my dad made a better impression. I think during like my mid to late twenties is when it really like kicked in how much I really appreciated my upbringing. This kid Emerson, when I met him, uh, he was an engineering major, the one from college. Yeah. And uh, the one that was the uh, uh, Army, Army Ranger. Ranger, yeah. And um, he was like 23, 24 when I met him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was about to go to Lockheed Martin Ooh, in DC. This is the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that guy. And uh, just cool as shit, man. He's a handsome dude, you know, fucking built like, <laughs> don't ever fuck with me. <laughs> I'm like, fucking right. And uh, he tried to get me to rush. I was like, sorry, bro, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but I, I've i seen you being <clears throat> told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't end well. It's not the best. Um, but I'm, what are you going to do against that guy? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. He's like, what the fuck did I say? He's like, I'm busy that night, man. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot. 
Um, you know, <laughs> now when I think about like people I look up to, I always think about the people who have found this harmony of being able to really push like what matters to them mm-hmm. and then still have enough left to enjoy it. What I mean by that is you'll hear people all the time like you got to give 100% and you know you got to sacrifice and you got to do all these things. But now when I think about it, I always think about the someone who's like, "You know what? Give me 95% of everything." And then make sure I get a chance to see you enjoy 5% of it. Mm-hmm. And it's weird for me to even say that out loud now because I'm like, man, that goes against everything when it's like, if you commit to something, commit to everything. But like, how often do you see these people who really like put it up there to like take the moment? I think about that with all of the greats, right? When it comes to sports, you see them in their championship moment, tears, that satisfaction, it like all comes flooding out. And then the moment's gone. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing happens. And this is where athletes stopped being, you know, at the tippy top for me of men to look up to is because their greatness only lasted on the court. Like it never went beyond that. Like some of them weren't great husbands. Some of them weren't great fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them weren't great men. Yeah. Uh, and now that I say that, I think about the characteristics of, what I look into, not just as men, but in people in general. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of what it is, right? Like I think of defining manhood in this day and age. I think almost it was easier back then. You protect, you provide, <laughs> Yeah, you know, this right. is the code. Right, that's interesting. But I do have to say, I think that men, men do well when they have a code they live by and a purpose that they're living for. Yeah. And I think, and this is like regardless of your race, sexual orientation, I think every man has certain rules that matter to them and then a certain amount of meaning to what they're trying to pursue towards. Whether it's fatherhood for some, maybe it's work for others, art, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said about how back in the day with my like our fathers, how it was a little bit more well defined on what you your position was or what your expectation was. <clears throat> I like the expectation that we have on us right now. It's I think it's a I think it's a maybe a little bit more from a um, like you have more expectations from different parts of your life than just um, you know maybe providing for your family and um, giving them a place to live and like I mean it sounds so old school but it's true we were one generation removed from like my mom didn't aspire per se to I shouldn't say aspire aspire because I don't know like I've never really spoken to her about this but like in the day back in those days um and it's not saying it's good or bad or worse or better it's just there were uh, more defined lines I guess and we talked about this like 
you know, before that, like, I love being home in the morning with my kids and my wife has to be at work early. So she goes in and gets off to work and I take care of the kids for the most part on, she, I'm not saying she doesn't cause there's days that she does. There's a couple days of the week and then I share a couple days. So it's nice. I get to spend time with them and, and, well, uh, I like, you know, that we have a bigger, broad, uh, experience as fathers in this era than the previous generation. Mm-hmm. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's weird cause it's a bit challenging cause we don't have any frame of reference. Yeah. So, but the cool part is that we get to really embody this Gen X of being this bridge, right? Between yeah. like analog to the internet. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we used to be <laughs> part of these gender norms or whatever you want to call them. And now we're, you know, part of this bridging change. Um, That's why I think, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, to, it is hard because we are living through the change. You know, I mean, I think we, um, we, our generation, when you think about it, has lived through a lot of, obviously, technological change, but emotional, like, uh, you know, emotional um, IQ, right? Like, we, we, we need to be a lot better human beings, you know? And I think we're, as a, as a human race, we're getting better. Some areas we're getting worse. <laughs> um but I think we've learned to be more empathetic. We've learned to be better listeners. Uh, we 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 try to be better husbands and fathers. And it's but like you said, it's weird because we don't have a playbook. I mean, and nobody really did. But I, <clears throat> we're living through a different time now, man. We are technically living through like the best fucking time. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that is because as a complete and total planet, we all experienced something that affected all of us. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to generations before because I wasn't there. And even if I were to research certain history moment, historical moments, I don't know if they would have a totality of a global impact, right? Since like a Spanish flu type thing. Mm-hmm. But... In a day where the internet has us in so many different directions, to see the whole world get locked down, I feel like everyone gets this moment where they have to really be confronted with what's important to them and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I think in those moments where all of our distractions got put aside, you know, there's no more sports, there's no films or plays or anything that's being, there's no, (laughs) there's no celebrity gossip, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's like, people talking shit to each other through the gram. Yeah. So in those moments, we get to now see who we want to be next. And honestly, when it comes to like real positive change, I always feel like it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. And so we went through some worse in that summer and a couple of years later. And I think that we're, well, I'd like to think that we're slowly making our way into the upswing. Yeah, I think so. Right. But at the same time, I think I look at a lot of faces and the people are tired. I see that people are uh, looking for the win. Mm. And uh, I feel for them because I, I want everyone to get that win. But I like what you said. 
in regards to now no one knows what the fuck they should do from what happened. I know everyone's doing their best to figure out how to do that, mm-hmm. but no one knows. Like, <clears throat> didn't we talk about this? Some of the changes that the pandemic had created that's like long-term, similar to the joke about Blockbuster. You know, it's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like certain things are just going to be like, we're done. And when I, th- <laughs> when I think about this, I think about, you know, if we wanted to make a joke about it, you know, what's some of the things that could die after the pandemic? You know, and people would say things like, oh, fuck boys could die, you know, at the end of the pandemic. Yeah, I like that. Let's keep going in that direction. Like, maybe we can extinct Karens for a while. They could go post-pandemic. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, But then we'll have to have, like, some of those memories. Tiger King was the shit for a moment. (laughs) Man. Remember when you just couldn't wait to get home to watch Tiger King? Dude, it was like all you had. Crazy shit, man. But that's all I'm saying is that here we are living in this really crazy time. Like, we get to... We're still here. I guess that's why I always try to remind myself and remind others like how far you've already come, whether it feels like it or not, whether you feel like you're winning or not. We've been through some serious shit. And if you're waking up with air in your lungs and a beating heart, congratulations for still being in the hunt and still being in the fight. <laughs> yeah, Totally. So wait, you t- uh, so your dad and then... Uh, and then yeah, my dude, dad, Emerson. And Emerson. honestly, dude, one of the most influential men that I had ever had the opportunity to meet was Tyrone Willingham. Really? He was a coach for yeah. Stanford when yeah. I was getting recruited. And then Notre Dame. Yeah. And then Washington. What's he doing these days? <clears throat> I need to look it up. Man, he's good. Oh, man, dude. Uh, you had to have seen Remember the Titans, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember when they... Like Denzel's getting him up at like 4 a.m. to go run miles yeah. and shit. Yeah. To the uh, Battle of Gettysburg. Um, Rightfully so. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Coach did that. I went to a camp at Stanford in 97, and uh, we were not up at 4 a.m., we were up at 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he ran with us. <clears throat> Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was in good shape, man. And uh, he had this really deep voice. He was a small guy, but commanded a great fucking deal of respect. Mm -hmm. And uh, his expectations was flawless. He was... That's like your dad, right? Like, that's going back to, like, the military side of things. Like, And going back to what I said about hard work and respect for yourself and putting in, like, you, you see a guy wake up every morning and work his ass off in front of you you know it doesn't matter how big they are how fast they are you know how strong they are you can tell the heart of a lion right and that shit resonates with everyone it's a good point that you say that uh which now i always like men who know how to lead yeah and one of the things I like now that you say that and I think about the characteristics is I respect men who lead from the front. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like you got to be willing to do everything. That's everything. what I'm saying. Oh, do you it's remember we were working? I don't know if I ever told you the story. <laughs> we were working and uh, I was in St. Louis. Back at Shred? Yeah. At one of the Shred locations. <laughs> and... One of the new trainers that they were training uh, was from out of state. 
and they asked him to like fold towels. And there were other reasons oh, yeah. that we let him go, but he said yeah, like, yeah, 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 I don't yeah. fold towels. That's below my pay grade. Wait, wait. And I was like, where Who was the this? fuck? Well, we should probably shouldn't say. Yeah, that was, I, I was there with you. I remember. Yeah, this. okay. <laughs> yeah, and you came up and you're like, he's done. And I'm like, what's, what happened? He's done. <laughs> and I was like, what happened? He said he went in full towels. I, I mean, like, it was more than that. Fucking get rid of it. But him. it was one of the yeah. like things that just added to it. There yeah. was a couple other issues that went down. But I was like beyond me because one of the things I really valued about how we were trying to approach our uh, type of coaches we wanted to be for the company is that we show everyone that we're able to help in every way. Yeah. And that like... You give new people tours of the studio so they feel comfortable. You show them and introduce yourself. Get them comfortable in the space. You see things from their perspective. Well, it's not about you. It's not about you, bro. It's about the experience. That, and you're trying to help. Oh. Trying to help people. Like when you get into this, the business, the fitness business that we were in, right? You, the ultimate goal is to hope that you inspire somebody to get what you got out of fitness. Exactly right. What you got out of movement, what you got out of sport. <clears throat> and like my, my daughter is in dance. You know, we, um, we did this whole, uh, you know, s- soccer thing when she was like three or four or five or whatever the hell age it was. And I could tell the same. <laughs> she was not into that. Yeah. But she found dance. And that's just as much as what fitness was or football was for me, right? <clears throat> and so you just want to find... You, the easiest way for us to help other people was to do what we love and do what inspired us and then hope that what we were putting out was going to inspire them. And if it didn't inspire them, then hopefully they found something else that did. But we weren't going to like change who we were or how we represented what we did, no matter how many studios we opened, no matter how much success we had. It was all about the the basic fundamentals of this is what we love to do and this is what has helped us through a lot of hard times, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, mental stress. And hopefully this can give give some hope and light to you. Yeah. That's what it was about. And fucking, fo- if it means that you got to fold some towels because everybody's behind the eight ball and it means that you a f- nice fresh towel when your members come in like that's what it takes man that everything is on point so when they walk in you're like god damn these people went to a lot of work to make this place a nice place and nothing f- it doesn't feel awkward it feels right it feels good like that's what it's about it's weird right cuz it feels like how great things could be if everyone gave their best all at once. <laughs> yeah. But the but the greatest thing, the the we've talked about this. <clears throat> we should probably close pretty soon on this. The one of the greatest things and worst things for humanity is that feeling of like wanting more. Because it's inevitable that we have to be um we we have to be a little narcissistic. We have to be a little selfish, because if not, 
then it slows down. Like the progression of humanity slows down. Because if I don't want more for myself or my family or my kids or my friends, then it just slows the process down. Now, somebody could argue like, well, isn't that okay? Is it okay? Is it not so bad that we could slow the fuck down for a little bit? I could jump on that train, man. I could could jump on that slow train, I'll tell you that. But my point is, that's why it's a blessing and a curse, man, because it helps us progress forward, but we'll never... We'll never all try exactly as hard as we could because we always think that, like, there might be a little easier path just to get to the same spot. Hey, I don't have unrealistic expectations. (laughs) I just think that, you know, like I said it before, man, it's always to me been about if it's possible that we could be better shouldn't we take the responsibility to do better? Yeah. And it's independently up to you. It is, really. And I think that's what I, I think that's what you and I, that's why we get along so well. I think that's why we hit it off right away. I think you find people that you're, like, I'm going to wake up every day and do my part, and I just hope that everybody else does too. Pretty much, man. That's it. And you know what? That's what I look into as, like, growth, yeah. For all of us, even as men, right? Like you get, you get better because you keep going up and doing your part. Like this is how I'm going to contribute, bro. Yeah, this is going to be my, my effort. You never know who's watching. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for sharing this shit with me, bro. Yeah, man, it was good. I'll get into my, uh, my head football coach down the road here, <laughs> Tom Narducci, <laughs> and my my. Assistant Tom Kaiser. It's kind of weird that they're both named Tom. I never really thought about it that way. No, I wouldn't think too far into it. Just yeah, maybe a popular name at the time. I'll, just, I'll give you a little teaser. Yeah, lay it on me. I hadn't seen him, Tom Narducci, the head football coach. I hadn't seen him for like, whoo, at least twenty five years. Wow. And um, we went back to honor him at the high school this year, at this in October, and uh, I saw him and. Boy, my sphincter tightened like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yes, I coach. Was, I was yes, still coach. like, oh, there he is. <laughs> hey, coach. Hey, sorry coach. about that, coach. Hey, coach. Uh, remember that that play? I, I'm really sorry about that. Really <laughs> Just sorry. all comes flashing back to you. Miss that block. <laughs> it was great, though, man. All right. Hey, cheers, brother. Cheers, bro. Love you. Love you too, buddy. All right. Till next time, y'all. Next time.